Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Axiom podcast. Um, we're a community centered around experiencing Jesus together and practicing his ways as a community. Uh, we like to say in Peoria as it is in heaven. Um, so this podcast is just space for discussion and exploring um, ideas and principles of the kingdom and also where we post uh, our sermons from Sunday gatherings. So um, please engage us online and uh, hope you enjoy this episode. How are you all feeling? Awesome. You say pretty nifty? Oh, what's that? Oh, bless it. I thought you said something else. I was like, I gotta look up the dictionary term for that. <laughs> uh, and I don't have a smartphone, so I would have actually had to go grab a dictionary. Um, <laughs> my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at Axiom. If we haven't met before, I hope that we get to meet. Make sure you say hi to me before you leave. Um, I would love to get to know you. I will say, though, my memory is awful. And so if I forget your name, I apologize in advance. I just, I am, I'm terrible about that stuff. I'm supposed to use people's names like five times every time I use it for the first time, and I never remember to do that, perhaps not surprisingly. <laughs> um, so we've been in this series uh, Gavin's been taking us through called When You Pray, and we're going to be talking more about kind of what our posture should be when you pray. Um, I am going to be talking a little bit about, though, not so much like physical posture necessarily, but interior posture, the way that we cultivate a mind and a heart that is ready to hear and experience God. Because when we pray, we're talking to our Father in heaven, the creator of the entire universe. And so we need to be able to have an interior posture as much as an exterior posture for prayer. Because, of course, when I was a child, maybe you, if you grew up in the church, you were familiar with this. You bowed your head, folded your hands, and you closed your eyes. Sometimes I would say you fold your eyes and you close your hands when I was a kid. I would get them mixed up sometimes. Um, that is similar enough. I will tell you, though, that the times that I typically pray, I don't know about you, the times that I typically find myself praying, it's not really like a, you know, oh, I'm setting aside this time during the day and I'm going to enter into the space of prayer where I'm talking to, where I'm talking to God. I'm usually like in the midst of some turmoil in my life or driving down the, I always talk about driving because apparently I get really angry when I'm driving. I'll be driving down the road, somebody will like cut me off and I think we're going to get into an accident and I will say, oh God, don't let me die. That's usually when my prayer happens. That's usually the extent of my prayer life. That happened to me this week, actually. I don't know if Ben Richard is in the room right now. I went on a hike with Ben Richard this last week. And for those of you who know me, you know that I like hiking. I do it pretty frequently, actually. Uh, I, th I think of myself as a, a fit person who is experienced in the outdoors. I talked to God so much during this hike. <laughs> we, it, was, it was an off-trail thing. And so most hikes that you go on, I don't know if you've gone on a hike before, but there's like, you come to a trailhead, and there's like a path. And you walk, and you follow the path, and you can see everybody's footprints. And you're like, oh, this must be a safe thing, because people do it all the time, apparently. This didn't have a trail. We parked. We walked off, and it was just the desert. And we knew that we were going towards a mountain. And it was that mountain right there. And so we just had to find our way to get there. Well, the first time I prayed during that time was when I was walking, and then I stopped, 
because there was just a snake laying there. <laughs> now, I almost didn't see it because there's like vegetation all around it because, you know, there wasn't a trail. And so I said, oh, God, don't let that be a rattlesnake. And it wasn't a rattlesnake. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Uh, <laughs> um, it wasn't a rattlesnake. We kept walking. We kept walking. You get to the mountain, and if you look at a mountain from a distance, you feel like you can see how you get up it. And then you get to it. And you're like, oh, that thing that looked like a gradual kind of incline where I could like comfortably walk up, it's actually like this. And then at some point, it's like that. And so we got there, and so we had to spend like, you know, 30 minutes just figuring out how we were even going to begin to get up this thing. At some point, Ben says, oh, here's a way, here's the way, and we start going, and he's just gone. <laughs> I, he goes around a corner, and he's just gone, and I'm looking around, Ben, where are you? And then he, I hear a voice from on high say, up here, <laughs> and I look up, and he's just up there. There's like a vertical rock face, and he's just up there. He's like, come around over here. There's a way to climb up. What he meant by that was there is a way to climb up, which means hand over hand. And this is not like, this isn't like a rock climbing gym where somebody's come in there and they're like, oh, everything's fine. We got a rope here. So if you fall, you'll be okay. No, it's just like crumbling rock face. It's like littered all around the base of this thing was like the rocks that had fallen off in the last storm. And so you get there, and you're climbing up, and you're praying that, the, God, God, please don't let these rocks come out from my hands. And he's like, you got this, man. Ben's up there. He's so great. He's so great. He's up there. You got it. Come on. You got it. And he takes my hand. You know, when I finally do get up there, I made it. I didn't fall down. I didn't die yet. Um, he pulls me up, and I'm like, oh, good. We, we made it. Oh, I'm glad that's over. And then we round a corner, and I don't know how long you guys have lived in Arizona for. Are you familiar with... Choya, jumping choya. They misleadingly call it teddy bear choya sometimes. You do not want to hug teddy bear choya. Um, teddy, jumping choya is more accurate because it is so loose and comes off so easily and grabs you, it feels as though it actually has jumped upon you. And so we round this corner, and you know, if, I, if you've ever seen choya, there's like one there, there's one over there sometimes. You're like, oh, I'll just avoid it. We were at a corner, and it was a garden of choya. Like, it was like a wall. It was a wall of choya, and you're like looking for the gaps that you can walk through, and you're like, oh, there's like no way to walk a safe distance from this stuff. And so I would like to tell you that I didn't get stuck at all, that I was perfectly fine, that I didn't find myself praying to God in anger as I had to rip choya out of my leg. That didn't happen. <laughs> we walked through, and of course, you're walking, you're walking, you think, oh, I'm avoiding this, I'm doing okay. And then you like, your foot brushes against your leg, and then you just feel pain, because you realize that every part of you that could feel had been fine, but your boot had not been fine, because it was covered in choya. And so when it brushes against your leg, I don't know if you realize this, but then the choya also, because it has stuff all around it, it's not just like on one side, it's like covered in this horrible, horrible, painful needles that like have barbs that stick into your skin, and I don't want to get too graphic. I had a comb with me, thank goodness, thank God, and I was able to get it out, but then it was like, my leg is still black and blue. I don't know if I can show you that. Uh, but we, so we did that. I'm, the whole time I'm praying, I'm like, God, I know this happened once. Uh, I got Troy in my leg. Don't let it happen again. You know, Ben got it in his feet. I got it in my leg. It was, it was awful. 
Then, because there's more, <laughs> we make it through the field, and you're like, okay, can't get any worse than that. And as you're going through the Troy field, you hadn't been really looking at the mountain. You'd forgotten about it. But that's the whole reason why you're here, is the mountain. Well, we get to a point where you realize, oh, that part of the mountain that we climbed up and then went through the Troy field, that wasn't like the highest part of the mountain. Because then there's this whole other center section of the mountain that goes even further up. And so Ben is out. He's like a pathfinder. He's incredible. He's going out in front, and he's climbing, he's climbing, he's climbing, he's climbing. And he is, of course, finding these vertical rock faces for us to go up, and they're falling, you know, rocks are falling apart and all this. The whole time I'm praying, God, 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 don't, don't, don't let me die. Don't let me die. And, of course, I'm pretty, I feel like I'm pretty physically fit. But at a certain point, your body starts feeling like, okay, remember, you have to get down this. Like, I remember the moment I'm halfway through climbing, following Ben, and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. There's not like a helicopter that takes me off of this, <laughs> ideally, right? I'm going to have to go back this way. So I, start, I remember there came a moment in our hike. We were probably like three hours in at this point. I'm like, Ben, I might have to stop. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I've been having conversations with God, and I just really feel like I might die <laughs> if I try to go, go any further. Ben, to his credit, he said, look, I'm going ch- to push you. I'm going to push you a little bit. I'm always going to push you a little bit. So I said, okay, that's good. A little pushing is good. We ate something, and we start going. We climbed another series of rock faces. It was terrifying and awful. And then we got to the final place. Ben had always found a way up. And we got to the final part of the mountain where it was like you could see it. It was like 200 feet away. It was right there. And we got to it, and it was just flat wall. And I remember Ben said, I don't think we can get up this. I was like, okay, good. Because <laughs> that's what I was thinking. After a moment, though, he rounds the corner, and he's like, Eric, you got to, I found it. You got to come. And I came around the corner, and it looked impossible. He doesn't even stop to think about it, though. He just goes. I'm watching him. He's gone, and the sun is right there, and he's kind of like going into the sunlight a little bit. It was really really picturesque, right? It was like, felt like a movie. He gets up and he rounds the corner. I can't see where he went. And he goes, Eric, you got to come up here. And I was like, oh God, oh God, oh God. I was just this inner turmoil of just like fear, trembling, anxiety, fear of death, a very real fear of death. Then I started thinking about all the what ifs. My whole life in that moment became a series of what ifs, right? What ifs, what ifs, what ifs? I'm like, I don't know, man. I think I'm going to stay down here. And he just said, I'll make, I will get you down. You got to come up here. So I said, okay, it's your back. <laughs> and I got up there. We got to the top. And it was incredible. When you got, I don't know if you've ever been to a top, the top of a mountain, but when you get up there, You see over everything. It's that moment of being on top of a desert peak where there's just you, the sky, and a little bit of rock underneath you. Flat all around. And we sat up there for like 30 minutes, and I don't think, we hardly even talked. I'm just looking out over the vastness of everything. And I feel a quiet 
spiritual, I don't know what else to call it, spiritual connection with God in that moment. All of a sudden, all the anxiety, the fear, the trembling, the stories about what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, you're just up there. And sure, you'll have to get down at some point, but you're not even thinking about that. I wasn't even thinking about the getting down. I was, I was in prayer. And I realized in that moment, when I released everything, that it's really hard to be in prayer. Like deep prayer where there's nothing floating around in here. There's only you and God. Now, before you start getting nervous, thinking that I'm going to tell you that you have to climb a mountain with Ben, don't worry. I'm not going to do that. When I was up there, though, as I was coming down, a passage from Scripture that I've always loved came to my mind. And it made me think about the fact that, like, mountains, especially with desert, like, religions that formed out of, like, desert environments, tend to hold mountains as really sacred places. And until, like, that moment, I hadn't really appreciated, I think, that fact in, like, in my bones. Like, intellectually, I had understood, oh, yeah, mountains are sacred, sacred places. In that moment, though, that mountain felt like a sacred place. Moses, of course, goes up a mountain to get the Ten Commandments. Jesus frequently left his disciples. He'd climb up a mountain and be by himself with God, and he would pray. Navajo religions hold mountains to be sacred places as well. These are desert people. Look into this. It made me think about a story in 1 Kings, though, and it'll come up in a second, not just yet. It had to do with this prophet named Elijah. Oh, I guess it will come up right now. <laughs> Don't read it. Don't read it yet, because I'm giving you context. There's this prophet named Elijah, and he was one of the greatest prophets that had probably ever lived. Prophet of God, a person who spoke, was the mouthpiece for God to a society that was fallen. He knew how to experience intimacy with God. He was in frequent conversation with him. And after he had partnered with God to do some remarkable things, really, he was the agent. God had done the remarkable things in the land. The king, and more specifically, the queen of the land that he was in, wanted to kill him. Keep in mind, he had just done something. God had used him to do something remarkable. God had cut, the, cut rain, and then he had caused a, an altar to light on fire that was drenched in water. God had done amazing things in his life, but Elijah, Elijah is afraid when he finds out the queen wants to kill him in response to this. And he runs, and he flees, and he hides. And then God comes to him in the desert as he's laying on the ground saying, oh, just kill me. This is too hard. Kill me. God sends him to a mountain. And he goes to a cave in that mountain. And this is where we find him. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11, the Lord, that is God, said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What indeed? After this, Elijah and God have a conversation. But this, this section really came to me as I was standing up there on that mountain. I thought about this phrase, about the wind that can tear a mountain apart, about an earthquake, and about fire coming. But all these things, they're not the Lord. But amidst the chaos, the madness, the crumbling, the tumult, the noise of something like this, there is a gentle whisper. I thought about my whole trek up the mountain. There hadn't been necessarily literal fire, literal earthquakes. There had certainly been wind. The whole time as I went up there, my experience of God was grounded in the tumult. The noise, the chaos, the fear, the trembling. The idea that I might die at any minute. That I might fall. That the rocks might give out from under me. Oh God, oh God, save me. And I realized there's so often in my life that I go and live in that space. I occupy that kind of prayer space of tension and anxiety. Of talking at God constantly. How many times I wondered had I met, missed, amidst it all, the gentle whisper? I think it would be a mistake here to read a passage like this. And say, okay, well, I just got to avoid wind, earthquake, and fire. Because the gentle whisper that emerges out of the earthquake, the wind, the fire. The gentle whisper, I believe, was probably to some extent always there. The question I think that we should ask ourselves when reading a passage like this is not how do I avoid wind, earthquake, and fire, but rather what is your wind, your earthquake, your fire? 
What is the chaos and the noise that occupies your life? Because I don't know if you've ever been in a windstorm that's windy enough to crumble mountains, but that has to be some serious wind. I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake before, but it's chaos when that happens. And fire is devastating. It consumes and burns. The, te- the temptation, I think, if I were there on that mountain, would be to focus on all of those things. On the earth crumbling around me. The wind blowing. And the fire burning. Those seem... If you were in that moment, those would seem to be the things that you needed to worry about. If I were Elijah in that moment, I'm pretty sure I would be sitting there praying, oh God, don't let the mountain fall on me. Don't let the wind blow me off. Don't let me get burned. Chattering and chattering away. Would I have missed the gentle whisper? of God. I once, I once heard somebody say, he said to me, you, you spill out onto other people what you fill your cup with. Going up that mountain, I began to realize that I've been filling my cup, I've been filling my cup with a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, and a lot of worry. I've been telling myself stories about what the fire will do, about what the wind will do, what the earthquake will do when it comes. I remember right when I almost stepped on that snake with Ben, the first thing I needed to do is I needed to know, well, what, if, what, what, what do we do if I get bit by a rattlesnake? That was the first thing I asked, and I just was thinking about that for 30 minutes as we're hiking. We're in the midst of this beautiful nature and all I can think about, what am I going to do if a rattlesnake bites me? What if a rattlesnake bites me? I don't know. I might get bit and then what if I die? I could die because the rattlesnake might bite me. Ben, what are you going to do if a rattlesnake bites me? God, what are you going to do? How are you going to help me if a rattlesnake bites me? God, I might get bit by a rattlesnake. That could really happen. You live in this story and your heart becomes a place cluttered by noise. Because your mind is a place cluttered by noise. And all that you can think to do is to clutter, clutter the world with your noise. Okay. I get it. The voice asks, what are you doing here? And God might well be asking us, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing here, Eric? Really? You're afraid of a queen? You want to die? What are you doing here? Haven't you seen everything I have done, says God. It made me think about this passage in Psalms, uh, in the Psalms, Psalm. 131. 
We read, my heart is not proud, Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. How often are we concerning ourselves with great matters, things that are really far beyond us to understand? How often do we look at the world with proud or haughty eyes? How often is our heart actually content to resolve things for ourselves? with our plans and our fear. What happens if the mountain falls on me, what will I do? The author here does not concern themselves with those things, those great matters, those things that are too wonderful or terrible them to know. They calm and quiet themselves, and they become like weaned children. A weaned child with its mother. A weaned child, I am content. To be held by God, to be loved and to be nourished and filled and protected the way a weaned child is with their mother. This is what a calmed and quiet self looks like. To be at the side of God, to be held close by God, and to be known that you will be cared for and nourished by God. The author here is calling Israel to put hope in the Lord. Israel could just as easily be Peoria. It could just as easily be Axion. It could just as easily be you. Put your hope in the Lord now and forevermore. Be calmed, be quieted. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are we doing here? Are we able to step into the open and hear despite the noise, despite the fear and chaos that emerges in our hearts because of our desire to handle these things that are really great matters? Can we surrender those great matters and lean against God and be weaned as children by our Lord? Can we be filled up with the peace and gentle whisper that truly comes from God. Won't you pray with me here? Lord, we, we want desperately to hear your gentle whisper. We want to know 
that you are in control, but not to know it like an intellectual thing, to have you tell us, assure us through information or knowledge that we're going to be fine. Lord, no, we want to be able to rest in hope in your promised reality that you are caring for us. That amidst the chaos, the confusion, the world that seems to be falling apart, that we don't need to control outcomes. We don't need to concern ourselves, Lord. You are our hope. And even as you ask us, what, what, are you, what are we doing here? The invitation is that we move from being here to being there with you, Lord. To rest in you. To be cared for as little children. Amen.